0: Hey there. So today I'm lucky to be joined by Khaled El-Gindi, the director of the program on Palestine and Israeli-Palestinian affairs at the Middle East Institute here in Washington, D.C. And he's a, a former advisor to the Palestinian leadership in Ramallah. Khaled, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. First of all, I mean, how are you feeling? How What have these, these past few weeks
1: been like for you? To be honest, uh, the past few weeks have been quite traumatic obviously the the horrific attacks on October 7th uh, and then followed by uh, more horror uh, for another almost 4 weeks now um gaza has been uh, under constant bombardment uh without food and water and fuel and basic necessities of life uh and at least 9000 have been killed uh, in gaza and uh Almost half of them are children. Almost 4,000 children have been killed, which is to me is just unimaginable. And the scale of destruction is quite enormous. And what is most disturbing is that there doesn't appear to be any end in sight. Um, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite horrible. I can't remember a time that was this horrible. Uh, in in uh, in the Israel Palestine arena, yeah, I think you're
0: right to say that there's no clear end in sight. And uh, that said, I, there's been a lot of commentary, a lot of questions about you know the day after, the day when that end comes. Uh, you know, that is the day after Israel achieves its stated goal uh, of eliminating Hamas as an entity in the Gaza Strip. I want to get back to that question later on, but. I, I think for the purposes of our conversation, I want to think about a different question That's there's been relatively little time spent thinking about, uh, which is the day after in the West Bank. That is the day after President Mahmoud Abbas leaves office. To answer that question, can, can you tell us who Mahmoud Abbas is and what Palestinians think about his presidency?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Mahmoud Abbas is the president. He holds two uh, titles. He's the president of the Palestinian Authority, and he's also the head of the PLO which is the, the Palestine Liberation Organization. Uh, the PLO is the main international body, um, we could call it the international address of the Palestinian National Movement. Uh, the PLO sits at the United Nations um, under the banner of the, the state of Palestine since it was recognized as a non-member state. He is uh, a, a one of the founding uh, leaders of the Fatah Movement, uh, that has controlled the PLO uh for most of the last oh, actually all of the last uh 50 plus years uh, going back to 1969 and uh he's quite uh, he's quite uh old himself uh he's part of that founding generation i think initially there was a, a lot of when he first came to power in 2005, there was a lot of hope that, that he would be a reformer, that he would be less authoritarian than his predecessor, Yasser Arafat, uh, and that he would uh, be able to lead Palestinians to uh, eventual statehood. And he was very much focused on, a, on an agenda of negotiations and diplomacy and cooperation with, uh, with Israel, Uh, and with the United States, in order to achieve that goal. Um, Since then, he's uh, become increasingly unpopular. I think his agenda has been shown to be a a total failure. Um, One of the reasons that Hamas has uh, been able to succeed in capturing the hearts and minds of so many Palestinians is all they have to do is point to Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority leadership and say, uh, look what's happening in the West Bank, uh, look at those guys, uh, they jumped through all the hoops, they played by all the rules, and they still get nothing, uh, and and are also even delegitimized in Israel uh, and even in, in Washington. Uh, so diplomacy doesn't work because Israel only understands the language of force. That is, so goes the logic, right? And, uh, Hamas has been able to capitalize really not on any of its own achievements, but almost entirely on the failure of their primary opponents. So now Mahmoud Abbas is uh, extremely unpopular. He has been unpopular for a long time, but um, particularly since the attack on Gaza began, uh, there is... there is. Uh, real animosity and anger directed at him in particular because he's seen as uh ineffective even obsolete uh irrelevant in in what's happening he's uh, unable to um uh, to to really do anything to stop the the carnage in gaza um and uh, that that irrelevance i think has never been uh more clear.
0: What is the PA's mandate exactly? I mean, it was it was founded in during the Oslo peace process. What what is it? What was it designed to do?
1: So the the Palestinian Authority. It depends on who you ask. It it. They're part of the reasons. One of the reasons that uh, Oslo failed is that there were different visions of what what the Oslo's provisions meant. Um, the Palestinian Authority being one of them, and for Palestinians, it. It was supposed to be the, the embryo for a future Palestinian state to build up the governing institutions uh, and uh, security apparatus and, and the bureaucracy for a future Palestinian state. And the expectation was that little by little, Israel would hand over more and more control over occupied territory to the Palestinian Authority. Uh, that never quite happened the process was frozen very early on in 1998 and uh the PLO uh really has jurisdiction um direct control in in only about 19% of the west bank um from the israeli standpoint uh the 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 people who signed oslo did not necessarily envision the palestinian authority becoming a state but They viewed it more as a kind of permanent autonomy. You know, Palestinians would have to, would be able to govern themselves, you know, have their own schools, have their own garbage collectors, uh, their own local police. Um, But sovereignty uh, was not really an issue, was not on the table for Yitzhak Rabin um, or most of his successors. I mean, there are a handful of exceptions. Who who did support a Palestinian state? Who Olmert, for example, um, in in the mid two thousands, I think, genuinely supported the idea of a Palestinian state. Uh, and there were others in the coalition in var- at various moments who did. But for the most part, most Israeli governments over the past twenty years, especially, have been opposed to the idea of Palestinian statehood. And that's where. The process has completely fallen apart.
0: So, looking looking past this foundational misalignment in in values during the Oslo process, what's gone wrong for the PA? I mean, there there are a million different ways to to answer this question, but if you if you could s- first start with the PA's own governance failures. I mean, you mentioned that uh, Abbas's successor or predecessor Yasser Arafat ruled. Palestinian governance institutions as a bit of an authoritarian. How has Abbas ruled the PLO and the PA? Uh,
1: well, let's separate between the PA and the PLO. Uh, Abbas's rule, I think, as you know, as I said, people expected him to be a reformer, um, and he was. He was initially talking a very reform-minded game uh, early on when he was first prime minister in in the. Under Yasser Arafat, and then later after Arafat's death, he became uh, he was elected president. Now both of them were were democratically elected. Uh, Yasser Arafat in 1996 uh, won uh, in free and fair elections a very sizable majority of the votes, uh, and that was expected. He was he's the grandfather of the Palestinian national movement, so that's no surprise. Mahmoud Abbas was elected with a you know a respectable majority of his own in 2006 um the the problem uh, the problem has been uh, there there are issues of of corruption and uh, human rights abuses and governance problems within the Palestinian Authority that are endemic but but also the nature of the peace process, the nature of the Oslo process has essentially required them to be so. Uh, Oslo has been obsessively focused on security, namely Israel's security, not necessarily security for Palestinians. Um, and so you have a, a highly securitized authority uh, that exists in in the West Bank. Um, and uh, it, 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 if you're going to you, the whole mission, really, of Palestinian security forces, were to crack down on. Um, opposition to Oslo and to the peace process and people who might engage in violence against Israel and the occupation. So it has had to become quite authoritarian because it is by nature heavily securitized. If you look at the the budget, uh, the PA's budget is uh, hugely disproportionate uh, amounts uh, are allocated to security, I think well over 25%. I mean, if you imagine... Any country with any state whose uh, uh, national budget consisted of twenty five percent of, you know their their military uh, consisted of twenty five percent of their overall budget, um, it, that would be uh, absurd, really, in the context of an independent state. Um, you know, most states it kind of hovers anywhere between you know three to maybe nine or twelve percent. I think the United States is in the low teens. Um, So it's heavily securitized. uh, And there is a culture that, you know, Oslo uh, changed the uh, incentive structure for Palestinian governance, whereby the leadership had to be more responsive to the donors, to the United States, to Israel uh, and and, uh, donor countries than to its own people. Um, there was always that tension. You know, people don't like, for example, security cooperation with Israel. They see it as a form of collaboration. Um, but that is a pillar of the Oslo process. So that tension between the the, the desires and needs of the population that they're supposed to serve and the, the external actors who are essentially uh, uh, bankrolling the PA Um, has made the PA necessarily undemocratic. Yeah, just
0: to drill down on that point about tension, I mean, it it seems like the PA, its mandate is to create a secure environment, to create the conditions for an eventual peace. But by doing so, they give Palestinians the impression that the PA is essentially an extension of the Israeli security apparatus that Palestinians have come to loathe right
1: right over time that has is definitely eroded its legitimacy because uh take the the situation in the west bank where settlers can uh can rampage through palestinian villages and towns they can they can kill people they burn down crops and uh burned down houses and the pa is not allowed to do anything they're not allowed to arrest or or come anywhere near israeli settlers uh and they have to wait for Israeli soldiers to come in and, uh, and and rescue them. The PA's primary function is to protect Israelis rather than their own people, uh, because they're forbidden from really from doing that, um, unless it's you know Palestinian uh, criminals uh, against other Palestinians, right? Then then that's that's the only place where the PA has jurisdiction. So that basic contradiction really. Uh, eroded the 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 not just the PA but the whole process uh, its legitimacy.
0: So beyond that basic contradiction, there are also more explicit ways that we've learned the Israel government has tried to degrade and erode the PA's legitimacy. There's been some reporting recently from the Israeli newspaper Haaretz and others that have shown that it's actually been a matter of Israeli policy to undermine the PA in order to to prevent its viability as the governor of a sovereign Palestinian state. How have they done that?
1: Well, in in lots of ways. they There are many sanctions that have been put in place against the PA. For example, when uh, the, the leadership decided to go to the UN in 2011 and 12 and seek full membership uh, for the state of Palestine or recognition of the state of Palestine, uh, Israel would uh, withhold its tax revenues that it collects from Palestinians and holds them in escrow and is supposed to disperse them uh, to the PA, and that makes a makes up a, a major portion of the PA's budget, almost two thirds. Um, so Israel can turn on and off that lever whenever they feel like it, um, and they have done that quite frequently if they don't like the decisions being made uh, by the by the leadership.
0: We've seen that recently. We've seen that as of uh, this week with the, the finance minister Bezalel Smotrich. Uh, withholding Palestinian tax revenues as, as punishment,
1: it, right, right, and then then you know there's the the, the leadership uh, in Israel is also um, fairly regularly uh, delegitimizing um, the the Palestinian authority as enablers of terrorism and as involved in terrorism and sort of constantly undercutting them. Um, you know, a lot of it is uh, talking points and rhetoric. Uh, And and that's but it's quite effective because it also affects how the United States responds to the Palestinian authority. And so there's there's a lot of those ways that are used to delegitimize. And these are the good guys, right? These are the supposedly the good Palestinians that everyone wants uh, Israel to deal with and and expects uh, an agreement to to be reached with them as a as a negotiating partner. Uh, There are two separate authorities, one in Gaza, one in the West Bank. Uh, the goal was always to keep both of them kind of weak and, but not collapsing, um, slightly off kilter, just enough to to keep them dependent uh, on the status quo, and um, uh, but uh, but ruling out any possibility of uh, unification. Uh, that was uh, a a pillar of Netanyahu's uh, approach to the Palestinians for the past uh, fifteen or so years uh you know keeping hamas in power um satisfied uh but but also weakened uh so there was the blockade imposed uh, on gaza uh but they would also allow cash flows from qatar for example to uh to go into gaza so that uh, to to keep things from completely falling apart why does this matter i mean wh-
0: for for people that would like to see this conflict resolved, which I like to think is the vast majority of us, why is it important that there's a viable uh, nonviolent political movement in, in the Palestinian polity? Well, obviously,
1: you need a coherent uh, unitary political entity um... – for uh, For the achievement of a Palestinian state and a two-state solution, so that's a prerequisite, right? You can't have two separate authorities. Um, you don't know who to negotiate with, and you don't know which one is supposed to become the successor to a Palest- or they uh, lead to a Palestinian state. Um, and and so the idea of keeping Palestinians divided was precisely to prevent the creation of a Palestinian state. And it was largely acquiesced in by the, you know, the United States and the, the Western world, um, even though they all support a two-state solution, um, they were either reluctant to press Israel on it or kind of bought into the uh the ostensible reasons that it was necessary, you know, that the PA is supporting terror, or Hamas, of course, is a terrorist organization. So all these reasons to um uh, to go along with with Israel's kind of divide and rule uh, scenario, but it certainly was not conducive toward a two-state outcome. Uh, keeping both, uh, keeping Palestinians divided and weak, is the opposite of a two-state solution.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Millennium Space Systems. Millennium Space Systems, a Boeing company, is a small satellite prime delivering high-performance constellation solutions for the national security space. Founded in 2001, the company's active production lines and 80% vertical integration enable the rapid delivery of small satellites across missions and orbits. Check out the show notes to learn more. Holly, we're we're really on the clock here, I know, and I know we're on the clock for our conversation, but we're we're really on the clock here in figuring out how to create a more viable Palestinian authority because the fact is Mahmoud Abbas is aged 87 88 88 now. Okay, happy birthday, Mahmoud Abbas. Uh, there isn't much time before we we might be faced with the question of what comes after Abbas. He's led the organization for 18 years. Or the authority for 18 years. Uh, we don't know what might come after him. What can the U.S. and presumably Israel, now that it hopefully sees the folly of undermining the PA, what can they do in the next few weeks and months to boost the PA's credibility?
1: To be honest with you, I don't think there's anything that can be done to rescue Mahmoud Abbas and his legitimacy personally. As a leader, um, I think he is a spent force uh, I I don't even think he has the imagination or foresight uh, to continue to lead given the enormous challenge uh, uh, now that exists, right? That's compounded by the destruction uh, and death happening in Gaza. So he wasn't up to the task before this catastrophe, and he's certainly not going to be up to the task afterwards. So I don't think there's any way to rehabilitate his leadership. It's really a question of who or what comes after him, and whether it can be better than what Palestinians have now, and that's anyone's guess. Would that
0: would do you imagine that it would be led by someone in Fatah in, in Abbas's political party? It's, it's possible.
1: I mean, I think likely, uh, but which Fatah? There are multiple factions of Fatah, uh, and. Uh, that's part of the problem Uh, one of the reasons why uh, mahmoud abbas cancelled elections that were supposed to happen in 2021 precisely because there were three different at least three different factions uh, of fatah and they were going to likely split their vote and that would have meant um, a, a hamas victory in all likelihood which is which is a scenario that israel would probably not countenance
0: Oh, correct. Nor
1: nor would the United States. Uh, And and, uh, that's even more more true now. Um, That said, uh, Hamas is a part of the social and political fabric of Palestinian society. And it it is not going to be eradicated uh, completely. Of course, it will be diminished greatly, uh, maybe even have its entire leadership wiped out and its bureaucracy and certainly its uh, weapons. But it is not going to be um, ended as a movement. There will always be people who come to the fore uh, because it's, it's, it's really, there, there's, a, there's an ideological demand for something like Hamas, given their, on the one hand, their Muslim Brotherhood Islamist ideology, but also their focus on resistance. Uh, as long as there's an occupation, as long as there's oppression and apartheid and blockade, then then you will have necessarily armed groups who resist it. They could be called Hamas. They could be called Hamas 2.0. They could be called something else. But the the demand for something like Hamas will exist as long as there is a, a, a an occupation that is in place and that is enforced through violence, right? Occupation isn't a benign construct. It is a systematized uh, violence and coercion and relies on uh, repression as a tool to sustain itself. It is essentially a military dictatorship. So as long as that persists, there will be Hamas or something like Hamas.
0: Hal, last question. You've been so generous with your time, but hoping to leave on on an optimistic note, is there a third way here? You know, Palestinians, uh, there so many are young people. Do they
1: see an alternative to the Hamas-Fatah paradigm? There is a growing uh, demand among Palestinians, especially the youth uh, who are fed up with uh, both Fatah and Hamas, who see both of their programs as having failed, uh quite uh, catastrophically i would add and uh and and there is a desire there have been a number of initiatives uh some are even called the third way um uh there there there's a real desire there to to move beyond those two dominant political forces in palestinian politics and and i think it's it's certainly possible but we're we're looking at uh, probably a generational struggle it's not something that's going to happen in the next year or two or five maybe but but uh in the in the medium to long term, we can expect people maybe to to move in that direction, but a lot of that depends on the two pressing questions that face Palestinians now: what is the future of Hamas as a political military force, and what is the future of Fatah post uh, Mahmoud Abbas's departure, uh, which is also I- imminent, right? I mean, he's uh, he could he could leave the scene at at any moment. Um, and so, once once those questions are are being answered, then we'll know a lot more about whether a third way is feasible and what shape it might take. Mm. Well, Khaled,
0: we're we're in a war now. I think all of us would like to see progress made towards peace, but there's a wide gulf between where we are now and where we want to get to. And I, th- I think this is an important first step is find- finding political partners on both sides in Israel and in Palestine that are willing and able to get there. So thanks so much for helping us understand this. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. The history and the description of events you just heard is not exhaustive, as with all things in this conflict. There will be listeners who might find it contentious. But if you remember one thing from this conversation, let it be this. The only viable resolution to this conflict ultimately, even if we're in a time of war, will be a political one. And for political solutions to emerge, you need good partners. Hamas is obviously not a good partner. So that leaves it to other parties, the Israeli government, of course, and a legitimate Popular Palestinian organization to come to the table to make peace. Who will be that partner for peace in the Israeli government? I do not believe that there is one in the existing coalition. And who will be that partner for peace among the Palestinians? It hasn't been Mahmoud Abbas, and that's not entirely his fault, as Khaled said, but it doesn't change the fact that it's not Mahmoud Abbas. So who is it? This war will be long. It will continue to be bloody and horrible, but one day it will stop. And we need to prepare for the day after. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Klocken. See you on Tuesday.